This is Shaka Wart Speak. Is there anything I can do for you? For me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate, you will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? Is that the chance of hope you mention? It is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shaka Speak. We are back for the third part in our four-part series on the ghosts of uh, Christmas, I guess. Yeah. Whatever, whatever way we want to put this, the... Uh, the, the the Christmas Carol Shaco Art Space Shaco Art Speak style the four spirits of the season as they say <laughs> that's right so um we are we are just two this week it is just me Doctor Zaxmo and Cody Code yes, Red Code Red and so we're here uh, Ryan is out uh, with a bit of seasonal uh, ick. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Rumor has it that um, Santa asked for some consulting help up in the North Pole. Um, as we all know, Ryan's a big vision guy, really busy, but he figured that uh, Santa could use a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. So he went out there, and lo and behold, it's cold up there. Yeah, yeah. And so it looks like he may have picked up something from the reindeer. Yeah, it's a long way from uh, the California coast. So uh, I think know. also Ken stole his winter coat, so he didn't really, maybe wasn't, didn't have the insulation that he needed <laughs> yeah. when he went up. Good old Ken. Didn't always, have time. Always doing your thing. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> But we are here with you this week, and we are on um, our third visit from a ghost. Um, so we've gone through patience. We've gone through gratitude. We've had both of those ghosts come through. Uh, and this week, the ghost that we're going to be dealing with is what, Cody? I believe that we have a visit from the ghost of self-control. Oh, man. Doesn't that ghost sound exciting? Yeah. Yeah, this is great. So the um, the whole thing, uh, if you haven't, just as a side note, if you haven't read A Christmas Carol, you should totally take some time one of these years and read it. Uh, it's a fantastic book, um, serialized in London news- newspapers uh, when it was originally written. And so it is very much made to be read, picked up, put down, picked up, put down. Um, so it's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing to go through uh, during the Christmas season. Uh, we go through it with our kids every year, um, and they are growing to love it more. But it's a fantastic story. Um, and in the very least, uh, watch a Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I have a confession to make. I've actually never read the original Christmas Carol book. It's fantastic. So I need to get that done. Probably not going to happen this season. Um, but yeah, it's kind know, of tail end of things got right a, now. We've, we've you know, got another year. Um, maybe I can make that a New Year's resolution. Yeah, I think uh, we have, uh, our kids have watched Muppets Christmas Carol probably a half dozen times already this year. I did. So we put that on last night for our kids. Nice. uh, For them to watch it for the first time while Carissa and I did some uh, holiday cooking, Mm -hmm. planning on a couple uh, events. And it was all I could do. It, this is a great segue, it took a lot of self-control (laughs) <laughs> to not sit down and watch that film with my kids. I mean, it was because it was just starting. It's been so many years since I've seen it, and yeah. even just the very beginning, like the opening shot where it's zooming over mm-hmm. the scene of London. You're like, oh wait, those are all models that are actually built in yeah. camera. 
and it just pans all around and it lands down in the city and interests the characters. It's magical. It is. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful movie. Uh, and it's funny because, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, you're probably like, oh, the Muppets, so please, whatever. Um, but it is consistently stated by critics and other folks that it is one of the more accurate, true depictions of the book. So it's fantastic. Also, Michael Caine. You can't go wrong with Michael Caine. <laughs> you really can't. You really can't. It's got a great cast. Michael Caine, Kermit the Frog, yeah. Gonzo, Miss Piggy, they're all great. Gonzo is Charles Dickens. Yes. <laughs> great casting great. choice. It's very good. Um, but yeah, so we are. We're being visited this week by the, the ghost of self-control of all things. And that maybe uh, is something that's kind of strange. Like why of all ghosts would the ghost of self-control really even care or matter when we talk about artistic self-control or what that means or how that relates. And so I think one thing that we mentioned a few episodes back is, um, you know, in the same way that uh, a tomato plant will produce tomatoes, mm -hmm. um, the person produces a thing that will not be different from who they are. So the output we have as artists and designers is always going to be tied to who we are mm -hmm. um, in the way that we envision the world, the way that we see people, the way that we value relationships or whatever else. Um, so that's why something like this, I think, would even matter. So it's a good, just a good reminder that um, everything doesn't have to be a one-to-one -to, -one to production of what you yes. have coming out. Um, there actually can be a lot of things that just benefit you as a human that then roundaboutly, roundaboutly will get you uh, to a place where you're producing work of a different kind as well. Yeah. Always helpful to remember. And I think that if we think about the idea of self-control, as human beings, we're constantly experiencing just, you know, whatever comes our way, all yeah. of life, all of our emotions, everything like that. And we don't have control most of the time over what we experience. Mm. Um, you know, emotions pop up unexpectedly, life events happen. Um, that you can't plan for. Um, people pop in and say hi that you didn't expect. Um, jobs come and go. Um, you know, there's so much outside of our control. Um, for good and bad, you know, think about gratitude. There's a lot to be grateful for. Oh, yeah. Um, that's an outside of our control. Um, and so self-control is sort of that, that point where, especially as artists who, you know, are responding to the world around them mm -hmm. and making things out of it. Mm -hmm. You can either be completely reactive or there is a, a, a way that we as humans have the ability to experience the world and then we have this zone where we can really process it and think about what am I going to do in reaction to this? Is it going to be a measured reaction? Is it going to be a considered reaction? Is it going to be a just knee-jerk reaction? That's the zone that self-control lives in. It's, it's our... Um, thoughtful or unthoughtful response to the real world that surrounds us and everything that's happening. Yeah. And I know that, you know, how you're describing it um, makes complete and total sense. And it might be a little different than how people have heard or thought about self-control in the past. Because I know that most of the time when we think about certain kind of, you know, if you wanted to call them like virtues or like, you know, kind of like character descriptors, um, most of the time we kind of make like caricatures of those things. Mm -hmm. So if we look at something like self-control, we may not think of it as a, uh, you know, a measured response to the stimulus of the world around us. We might think of it as like, oh, that's just a person who's like super passive mm -hmm. or apathetic yeah. or something. And it's like, don't confuse uh, somebody waiting to do a thing as somebody not having a uh, an internal dialogue about that. 
or a care or concern about what's going on. Um, you know, and, and I think that there's, there's a lot of ways that this happens. You know, I know that I do this and I have a few friends that do this as well, where you get that work email and you're just, you're red hot about it. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's a coworker who's, you know, asking the same question for a thousandth time. It's the boss who didn't listen during the meeting and now mm -hmm. is like complaining that everybody's not doing their job. It's whatever the case may be, you, you get that email. And my first response is always the heated exchange. Yes. And so you send that, you, you have that email that you want to send that has everything that you want to say, where you feel kind of justified in what you have to say. Um, and it's always best to just leave that in your drafts folder. Absolutely. And then come back in a little bit. The number of times I have, uh, let's just say if you measured the number of words that I've typed and compared it to the number of words <laughs> I've typed and backspaced, yeah, um, you might find that I've backspaced more words than I've committed. Well, and I think that that's, you know, that's a really kind of a, a good way to even look at it, kind of an analogy to look at is like the self-control is not that you don't have the response. Mm -hmm. The self-control is not that you don't get angry or you don't get mad or you don't get sad or you don't get extremely joyful. Mm -hmm. It's that you have that tempering of it where there's the pause to think about in the moment that isn't heightened, mm -hmm. is this a thing that would still be good? Would it still be helpful? Would mm -hmm. it still be, to, to use a word that we throw around a lot in here, would it still be humanizing? Yeah. You know, would it still be something that actually... Um, helps the other person or is it just something that makes me feel good mm -hmm. you know because because most of the time even in the lack of self-control the immediate feeling good dissipates pretty quickly as oh, well yeah, absolutely so whether you're feeling a positive from that lack of self-control or a negative you know whether it's anger or, you know justification or whatever those things they dissipate mm -hmm. they go away real quickly um so it's kind of like those like spray air fresheners in a room where you're like, oh, it's the, it's the holidays and it smells like cinnamon in here now. Mm -hmm. And then you're like two minutes later, you're like, no, nah, it's gone. Still, still smells like stale carpet. That's right. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think, you know, that's an important thing to keep in mind as well is that when we talk about self-control, it's not that you don't have the feelings or you don't have the emotions mm -hmm. or reactions. It's that those things get to wait. But also whatever reaction you might have in that moment is going to fade away mm -hmm. pretty quickly, whether it's extreme joy from feeling justification or, you know, just anger from the situation itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just to sort of double click on that point, a lot of times we think of self-control as stoicism. Mm. So as the attempt to sort of, um, we heavily correlate self-control with emotion Yes. Um, which I would venture to say, and we'll probably get into this, it's much broader than just emotions, though it certainly includes that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it is not an attempt to reduce or get rid of the emotional experience that humans have. It's just always a question of what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I just think that's really relevant for makers because makers spend a lot of their times asking themselves, what do I do with this? What do I do with this paint? What do I yeah. do with these ideas True. in my head? What do I do with this picture plane? Mm -hmm. um, what do I do with this contract and set of specifications for this website? Um, and that question, you know, when, when we sort of turn it back on ourselves and we have sort of the material of life experience, mm -hmm. And then there's a the question of well, what do I do with this? And embedded in that is what, what can I do with this? What do I even have the capacity as a human to do with this within my limited frame? And then within that, what do I do with it? Um, not, and it's, it's not just like, a, you know, well, you know, 
it's raining outside, so just you know, stiff upper lip, grin and bear it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, life's terrible, but you can either uh, overreact to it or you can just kind of get by. Like that kind of very stoic, yeah. okay, Marcus Aurelius kind of mm-hmm. vibe. Um, you know, I'd like to think self-control is more than that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's, uh, you know, another another aspect of how self-control works is, you know, we've talked uh, for these first 10 minutes really about like personal, mm-hmm. individual, you know, like how, how it might impact us or how we might think through it. Um, but I think another thing about self-control is that... Um, one thing that we do, I think, pretty poorly is just a, just a species, period, um, is that we don't really give the benefit of the doubt well. Mm-hmm. And because we live our lives as the central focal point, right? I'm, yes. I, I am hungry. I need to eat. I am dirty. I need to be clean. I need to use the restroom. I need to sleep. I need to work. That's our experience. It's the only one we have. We are internal to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very difficult to venture into another space where you are thinking about others, right? So selfishness is a very just natural rote response uh, to the world, um, but it's a very destructive and harmful one mm-hmm. in many ways. So when we think about self-control, um, if, if you and I were to get into a conversation and then it got heated, um, I could yell and I could feel vindicated, mm-hmm. but that does not have any assumption on how you would then feel exactly. or how that would allow you to respond. So the, the, the humanizing, the, the community-based, the, the interpersonal part of self-control is that self-control can also allow the other party to flourish in a way. Mm. Because you could be in the wrong in a situation. I could be in the wrong in a situation. And one thing that doesn't help that is, is just an inflamed reaction, right? Because we don't actually get somewhere. We're yeah. probably going to heap worse feelings on top of that. You're going to have an experience that then has to, you have to deal with some sort of you know, uh, apology or, or coming back together. Mm-hmm. There's all these things that go into it that uh, self-control can just temper that a little bit. Absolutely, It's easier to say, hey, I probably just need to step out for two minutes. Let mm-hmm. me get a breather and we'll come back in. Um, and and then I can be helped to remember all the things I know about other people yeah. or situations that for the most part, uh, if we are kind of selfish beings at like a natural kind of, you know, animalistic level, um, then there's a good chance that the other person is not vindictively thinking about you in the situation. They're just thinking of themselves yes, as well. They're probably going through the same cycle of selfishness um, <laughs> yes. or un, unexamined sort of uh, self-orientedness that, you know, hypothetically you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an easy assumption to make. Um, and I love that you bring that up because this might sound controversial, but I would argue that in the absence of self-control, the only other option is to seek to control others. Because mm. the way you sort of describe that um, of like two people are getting an argument, if I'm really just focused on myself and how I'm feeling and me being right and being vindicated, mm-hmm. then what I'm really saying is I want to control this situation, including this other human being. So that way I can get what I want, which is what feels good to me. Mm-hmm. So that's going to include controlling another person. And that might be on a very small, um, you know, not easy to see scale. And mm-hmm. then I think if we look over the course of history, we see individuals who have had the opportunity to exercise their selfishness in a way that provided them much more formalized control over other people and, Mm -hmm. 
you know, history seems to show that doesn't go super well. Yeah. Um, so it's like this, this interesting, that's just kind of coming to me as I'm thinking about it, this interesting point of like, we're either self-controlled and oriented towards controlling ourselves, or in our lack of self-control, we will seek to control other people so that way we can get the things that we want that maybe we'd be able to defer mm-hmm. if we had self-control. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that self-control versus other control. Um, but it makes total sense. Uh, I have never thought about it that way, but as you're describing it, I'm like, no, that's exactly... Mm-hmm. When I lack self-control, I am trying to impose uh, my feelings or uh, hurt or desires or needs upon someone else. So I'm never... I'm never seeking like real community mm-hmm. with those people. It, there's always there's always a hierarchy. And I think something that's interesting about that is that self-control is super hard. Yes. Like it is, I mean, it is a lifelong process of growing and maturing and apologizing yes. and trying again. It, it is very difficult. But in comparison to legitimately controlling other people, it is so much easier. Mm. Because you're never going to be able to really exercise that other control. It doesn't stay around. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you look at the, uh, just the, the reality of self-control, it is a process that builds. So it is something that over time you will become better at. Mm-hmm. But you can't say the same about controlling other people. Yeah. Um, I don't know that many people's like, bucket list is like become highly manipulative, uh, screw people out of all of their feelings of kindness towards me. Yeah, I mean, in the attempt to control people, what you end up doing is dehumanizing them by uh, reducing them to the constituent elements that you feel like you can control. Mm, yeah. Um, that's what I would presume would be easy to happen. And I, I like that you bring up manipulation because one thing I do want to put a pin in is I don't see a... Um, we talk about self-control versus controlling others. And when I say controlling others, what I don't mean is I don't mean that a perfect world is where everyone is self-controlled and there is an absence of any authority structure. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think that controlling others is synonymous with authority. Um, authority is people who are given specific roles to safeguard and bring about the best of human flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that sort of selfish control is the reverse. It actually doesn't protect anyone else and it doesn't bring about their flourishing. It's all about one individual's supposed flourishing at the expense of a bunch of other people. Yeah. Um, and so the sign of that is manipulation. It is dehumanizing people and reducing them to just you're not a whole person, you're just a few specific things that I can use or take pleasure out of or, you know, kind of make my tool or tool right. my tool set to get what I want. Um, good authority doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Good authority actually seeks to um, bring about flourishing for everyone under the authority. Um, it seeks to sacrifice, um, I think about leadership as just the willingness to go ahead of others to risk for others mm-hmm. so that good can be brought back for those others yeah. or established for those others. Very, very different. I would say uh, true authority and leadership requires a huge dose of self-control because you as a leader or a person of authority rightfully are deferring and setting aside a whole host of things that you would want for yourself so that way you can go out and do something that's good for other people and mm-hmm. brings them benefit. Um, so don't hear self-control and authority and antithesis to each other. 
No, I think it's a really, it's a really good point to bring up. Um, because a lot of the times I think when we, we might just say, oh, well, you know, I, it's not a self-control issue. Uh, it's just, it's my job to make them do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but there, um, there is the, the metaphor of like, you know, the, the river can, the river can change things and it can change it slowly over time. It can bend the reed or it can break the reed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the broken reed doesn't come back. Um, the bent reed can grow and flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is about control. Um, now, when we, I think when we when we talk about self control within, um, you know, like a, a maker space of sorts, um, I think about it in terms of design and what is what does self control look like for me? And some of that is that exactly to your point that there's there's ways that if it just were up to me and I were doing a project, it would be done a certain way mm-hmm. every time. I have a particular viewpoint. I have a stylistic preference. I have a way that I, I have kind of um, habituated myself to a response. Mm-hmm. So that's just what we do as people. We get used to a rhythm. We find comfort spaces. That comfortability allows us to do certain things almost reflexively. Mm-hmm. So when I think of um, self-control, some of that is to say, oh, well, that my, my way right now may not actually be the best way in this moment. Mm-hmm. There may be better ways to do this, that the tools and abilities that I have in my hands can be used in a different way to do things well. Mm-hmm. So I think there's um, there's some correlations that can be made there in terms of how we do things. Now, of course, I'm, I'm speaking of design in kind of a highly like client-centric way. Mm-hmm. Um, but even um, in terms of how we explore and look at things, uh, as we're making, like we're going to have a tendency to do in a certain way Mm-hmm. Um, out of that habit. Um, and self-control might be to say, hey, I can ignore those habits, right? Because when we talk about self-control, like you mentioned something as we were talking earlier that I'd love for you to get into a bit more, which is like self-control is kind of a human thing. Like yeah. we don't see it really anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, um, you know, a lot of times people are always trying to define like what's the thing that makes humans different from animals? And some people just don't think there is one. Um or, you know, they'll ask the question, what's what makes humans not just highly complicated machines? Um, I don't know that it's necessarily a great project to try to boil down human as to one particular element of rationality or anything. But observationally, if you want to just look at animals existing in nature, they have instincts that set them up to prepare for certain sort of mm-hmm. cyclical life events, you know, seasons and weather patterns. You've got this... The squirrel storing away nuts. Mm-hmm. The squirrel storing away nuts is not really self-control. Um, self-control requires a being to have self-consciousness, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, to be aware not only of themselves, but how they're affecting others um, and how others are receiving it. Um, and I was like, well, you know, this is just a dialogue that was going in my head. I was like, you know, dogs, you know, dogs have self-control like you can put a treat down and like tell them no and they'll stay away and i was like oh but dogs only do that when humans train them yeah so in a weird way like humans have the ability to sort of train animals how to have Mm self-control which is kind of wild um it's a whole other conversation um (laughs) but yeah overall i mean i don't think you really see examples of self-control in just the natural ecosystem you see a highly patterned highly relational, I would say, dare say, sophisticated 
interaction mm-hmm. in an ecosystem of many, many, many different parts moving together and responding um, as sort of like the sum of their design and instincts, you know, um, yeah, we look at like healthy ecosystems where down to the smallest clam in the the river, mm-hmm. the trees, and everything's just sort of like working together. Um, but no element within that system necessarily is self-conscious of themselves and, and is saying, I'm going to deny myself um, or I'm going to proactively do this thing so that way all these other neighbors can, can be benefited. Um, so yeah, I think it is a... I think it is a human thing, which is why when you see its absence, you see inhuman results. Makes sense. Yeah, and the um, the interesting thing, yeah, we can train, you know, dogs or cats or a number of animals. Like we can train cats. them how to like do a thing that looks to be self control. Um, but we think that we don't have to ourselves yes. be trained as well. Exactly. <laughs> that we, it's just like, oh, well, if it's, I'm just not good at it. It's mm-hmm. not a natural thing, so we'll, we'll screw it. I'd love to do, um, I'd love for someone else to do like a PhD yeah. in evaluating the history of training animals mm-hmm. as it reflects on human societal values. Huh. And to say, okay, how were people training dogs in the 1700s and what were they training dogs to do? What was the relationship there? And how does that relate to what people thought about the world cosmologically and all that stuff? Yeah. Because when I think about Richmond in the 21st century and I think about how people do or do not train their pets, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have a feeling this is indicative of some deeper problems <laughs> when uh, you go to the park and you've got a 105 pound Dalmatian, you know. Uh, running rampant over all the kids on the playground and uh, their owner unfortunately does not see fit to rein in control. Right, right. Um, you know, that might indicate something about where we're at. Yeah, I definitely, um, I was I was dropping off um, someone at the airport the other morning and, you know, everybody's traveling for the holidays. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've all got a ton of luggage that they're taking full of their, their gifts for folks. Um, and then a good handful of folks, more than I've seen in other times of the year, uh, had their pets with them. And it was interesting to see um, how many of those pets looked like they had not been trained uh, mm. to have any sort of self-control as like security was bewilderedly, like bewilderingly like, looking on as these two dogs were just like aggressively barking yeah. at each other. And they're like, how do we deal with this? Like, I don't want to get between them. It's like, these are not humans. Like, I don't know how to... It's not. Prob- it's probably not in my job. I probably don't want to tase that and get sued. Yeah, it's like. Uh, so it, it's it, it is interesting to think about like self control as a as a as a human thing. Um, and I like the distinction you made between like when we don't see it, we see it in human activities, uh, in, in human behavior that's going on. And I think you know we've we've talked about like self control as like the person who. Um, uh, the person who's kind of thinking about it, like how do they do it? What do they do? Um, but I think also there, um, there may be folks out there who are just like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't buy into that at all. I mm-hmm. think that the first response to the world is is only an emotional reactionary response, mm-hmm. um, and that self control is actually, you know, it's actually a, an an unhelpful, maybe even an untruthful, yeah, uh, existence um, or repression. Exactly. Uh, there's probably a lot of ways that that's thought about. Um, and that, you know, the first, first, any level of cognitive response is the true one, um, which is, you know, not the case. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would say about that is, you know, if, if that's kind of the camp you find yourself in, 
I would say like, go talk to like a small child about something like math and just be like, Hey, you know, what's two plus two. They might know it or they might tell you a story about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a number of things. Um, and so when we look at something like children, we don't assume that the first things out of their mouth or the first things they've thought of are really helpful, uh, things that are indicative of reality. Mm -hmm. Um, instead we're just like, Oh, well they just don't really know yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that the same thing applies for a lot of these other kind of social behaviors, uh, communal sort of relational sort of things. Um, is that what, what would lead you to believe that, you know, your first response to anything is really the best one. I mean, yeah. I've lived myself long enough to know that's not true for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we have this encoded in cultural proverbs, like don't judge a book like it's cover. Yeah. Um, which is really just saying have self-control when you experience something new mm -hmm. that seems like it's not great. Yeah. I mean, that's what it means. Or um, when it seems like it's too good. Or potentially when it seems like it's too good. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the flip side. Because um, I think it's easy to talk about self-control expressed a lot in the negative or in absence or in omission. Um, but self-control is absolutely at play in all the positive actions that we take. Mm -hmm. um, self-control can motivate you to do something that otherwise you would not do. Right. Um, so depending on, sometimes it's just depending on your wiring. Like I tend to be more of a passive person. Um, personality-wise, which means for me, self-control might look like working harder to do proactive things. That yeah, are that's good. interesting. Um, other people might be firing away and doing a million billion things, and self-control for them looks like slowing down and maybe setting some of those things aside and really considering what they're doing. Yeah, self-control um, for me is usually not talking. Yes. Um, <laughs> And me and my wife are a great sort of counterpoint because she's definitely more of a let's go get something done and apologize later. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely let's plan for so long that we never get anything done ever. Gotcha. Um, and so we, we get to mutually encourage different types of self-control in each other. Um, well, I think it's really interesting because what you're saying is somebody could meet you and then look at you and be like, oh, you got amazing self-control. Because they're operating out of self-control is always the stopping of something. Absolutely. Instead of it being like no self-control, like you're saying, it sometimes can be the doing of something. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, uh, the people I know who are very much kind of like, you know, they're, they're probably more at home with like a book in a nice warm room, you know, sitting by the fire on a nice chair with a book. Um, that's one of those things where it's like, well, that's that might be your first comfortable response to the world. That's sort of set up. Mm -hmm. um, which just like we're saying, like, always has to kind of be questioned. Mm -hmm. Like, is this the best way to do it? Um, most of us would say, yeah, but that person's like going to live at peace with folks and they're going to be really easy to be around. And it's like, maybe. But that still doesn't change the fact that like self-control is always, is always active. Yeah. And that it usually is not, I don't know that I've met many people where I'd be like, oh, they have a natural sense of self-control. Mm -hmm. I think they're either a bit more like subdued, a bit more chill mm -hmm. or not. Um, and then you're just at that point commenting on how those dispositions might fit into social events or how our society structure as a whole mm -hmm. um, more easily or less easily. Yeah. Which is totally separate from whether or not someone is self-controlled. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a way... Self-control, the, the first step of self-control requires honesty. Mm. 
you know, you have to, you know, know thyself uh, as a classic, but like you, you do have to know what is the self that does need to be controlled. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of times one of the hardest parts about it. Um, cause you, you mentioned earlier, you know, people might be concerned about that idea of repression or, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not really living authentically if I'm constantly having to question my first response to something. Right. Um, it's like, no, like you, authenticity is required actually um, because you can't really be self-controlled if you're not honest and you don't really know where you're at because if you're trying to control a self but you think yourself is something that you're not yeah then all the activities and actions towards that control I mean is going to be trying to control a different person Mm -hmm. not going to be the actual person that you are Um, that leads us kind of down that rabbit hole of like, how do we get to true self-knowledge? Mm. Um, I would argue that true self-knowledge always requires another person to yes. speak into your life and actually um, reveal things about you that you never could understand by mm. yourself, um, which makes self-control not just something that someone can stoically do up on a mountain by themselves. It is embedded in the idea of relationship and the mm-hmm. idea of an interaction with the other. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, that the sort of atomized autonomous individualism that a lot of us are ex- living in and, you know, I'm not apart from, that's it's, it's what I've grown up in. Um, yeah, it's by yeah. default. Um, you have to get to a place where you're willing to say, no, like I'm actually not the captain. I actually am not the expert on myself. Mm-hmm. Someone else might actually have insight into me um, that I don't have and I need that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that should cause you to kind of want to chase down someone or continue chasing down relationships that more and more are with people who can with great care reveal yourself to yourself mm-hmm. so you can know where you're at and where you need help. Yeah. Um, I've had the experience of like some bosses uh, or supervisors recently that have just been extremely helpful um, because they have lived a lot of life. They've worked with a lot of different types of people. Um, they're really good observers. And so they've been able to say, Hey, like, working with you for a while i've noticed some of these things does that make sense and then i'm like wow now that you say that that totally is sort of that first layer of me processing the world Mm -hmm. and now that i know it i have the ability to make a decision okay when something crazy gets flung up in my face and my instinct is to be like no 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 no. i really wish that things were scheduled and orderly and like going according to plan yeah i can react to my reaction and hence self-control is happening. Yes. Um, rather than just kind of getting tossed to and fro uh, by every little situation. And I think, uh, you know, something to support what you're saying is if you look at just how many people will defer to something like, a, you know, like a Myers-Briggs test or like an Enneagram thing, and they just will use that as a way to like understand themselves and not just understand themselves, but even like self-diagnose. Yeah in a way, mm-hmm. right? I think we're always, we're always searching for that. So it's not, you know, I, I would put it out there. There are very few people that I think we will ever meet who are just like, nah, self-control, screw it. Mm-hmm. I think more than that, there'll be a lot of folks who are maybe trying to, uh, I don't know, 
make make excuses or apologize for their their lack of growth in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's like, well, I'm just not good at it. Um, I just don't know. Um, but I think it's wonderful to think about the fact that like this is self control is something that uh, is made better through other people. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about helping us understand who we are and how we really process the world. Um, and it is also something that makes other people better mm-hmm. as we practice it. So it is a, it is a, it is a, like a highly community based generative humanizing activity. Um, and I think one thing, you know, maybe a, a point to kind of land the discussion on is, um, I think the self control can actually indicate a ton of love. Yeah. And I think, you know, love for, um, kind of, uh, yourself, not in the sense of like kind of self-love or self-care, but mm-hmm. like in the sense of like like loving yourself so that you do not want to be doing harm mm-hmm. that is unnecessary to do. But then also love for others because you know that your actions, whatever they may be, maybe their reactions or their self-controlled reactions mm-hmm. are going to have some impact on other people. And yeah. we should at the end of the day at the end of the day actually desire to honor those people through human humanizing activities, right? We, we shouldn't be looking to destroy people in some sense. Absolutely. And so I think there's a large amount of love that's at play on both sides of it. I think that's a huge point. Cause when I think about the idea of selfishness, you know, you could say selfishness is loving yourself so much that you actually are destroying yourself and others around you. Mm. Um, because there is an appropriate love of self Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a time of inappropriate love of self. Yeah. Um, and I mean, everyone loves something. Yeah. And I think that's where you see that tension of, you know, you can't not love something. It's not whether you love something, it's just which thing you love. Mm-hmm. Um, and because a lot of people don't think of themselves in terms of being a, being that loves their default is to love themselves, yeah. which leads to selfishness and lack of self-control because everything is just a constant chasing after self-gratification and the quickest experience um, of desires. And you know that occurs in very abstract ways. It's not just physical desires, you know, it's social desires, um, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but if your love is actually fixed on another, that can properly orient you as an individual mm-hmm. and then give you a scope and scale beyond yourself to consider your actions and, and ask yourself, first of all, how am I being loved? How have I been loved? Who out there is loving me? Mm-hmm. Um, where do I need to be grateful for that? Yeah. Harkening back to the previous spirit. Um, and then what steps do I have the ability to take to love others, which actually, you know, just to wrap it all up, like loving someone else actually humanizes yourself. Loving others actually is loving yourself yes. because we do not exist in isolation. And the breakdown of human relationships is going to necessarily cause self-harm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's always like a, a responsive thing. Um, you know, we're always trying to, we need to be loved. And so all of us are seeking that love. Mm-hmm. And as human society, we need to be loving each other. You know, uh, yeah. love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, 
and then there was a, you know, in that quote of love thy neighbor as thyself, there's a quote preceding it that I think fuels and allows the love thy neighbor as thyself mm-hmm. unto self-control and what you were talking about, which is basically people actually loving other people, which yeah. I think is fitting for the spirit of Christmas because around Christmas time, maybe more than other times, we're aware of a sense that it would be good for people to love each other in a genuine self-sacrificing, self-controlled way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know that we've mentioned this before um, on the podcast and previous episodes, but you know, as you were talking about this idea of like love and how people interact, it, it just had me thinking again about um, you know the way that they that the way that um, people will uh, abuse dogs into a place where they can fight other dogs and the way they do it is they they let them be close enough but never with Mm -hmm. other dogs so they're never able to like exercise what is their natural predilection towards um being a pack Mm -hmm. to you know falling asleep together you know for warmth to um playing uh whether that's like play fighting or play hunting Mm -hmm. whether it's uh you know just any of that kind of care that goes on in the community aspect of a dog once that's taken away, then all the self-control gets lost. Mm-hmm. So now whenever they come into contact with any dog, it is, it is aggressive, mm-hmm. violent tendencies because everything that's stored up in there that hasn't been able to be processed properly through self-control just gets unleashed at once. Yeah. And I think we see that a lot. I mean, it's easy to see the vitriol on social media mm-hmm. all the time because you're never in proximity to these people in any real sense. You're mm-hmm. always at chain's length away from one another. Yeah. So you do the same exact thing. And so you don't even care about love. Mm-hmm. You just care about that personal vindication moment, that flare up of emotion, the little dopamine hit you might get. Mm-hmm. And then you slide back into that just sadness. Yeah. Um, then that self-control is there, but I think it is hugely important. Like you said, around this time of year, it's a little easier to see that, you know, a bit more love would probably go a long, long way. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about other people may go a long, long way. Um, but it's not easy to do. It's not, it's not easy to do. It does take work. Um, which is another reason why I think community is a huge part of, of what we're talking Absolutely. about here, because, um, just like you mentioned that other people help us know ourselves better other people are going to be that nice little tap on the shoulder to be like, maybe that was a bit harsh Mm -hmm. or, Hey, that'd have been a great opportunity for you to step up. Yeah. You know, like those things are helpful. And I mean, I would totally, totally agree with that and even take it to the level of like societies construct ways of doing things to help people be self-controlled. Yeah. You know, like when I shake someone's hand, when I meet them, instead of like, drop kicking them in the shin like that's a (laughs) dumb example but like that is that is a way that a society has come to terms and agreed with like a method of of Mm -hmm. of good self-control like we've got a way of doing this and and the great thing about self-control is um this is a little tangential but we were we were in a conversation where we talked about um sort of that that circle of knowledge Mm -hmm. where it's you know what you know is inside the circle what you know you don't know is the edge of the circle and yeah. as you know more you realize you don't know more and then we hypothesize that inside that circle is another circle and what that interior circle kind of the donut hole if you will is mm-hmm. what you know that you've forgotten mm-hmm. that you know or the knowledge that you've come to assume so heavily it's subconscious and axiomatic to your thinking. Yeah. So the beautiful thing about self-control is self-control isn't saying that you will have to spend the rest of your life being hyper aware of everything that you do, 
because as we get better at self-control, it gets into that sort of subconscious level of our operation and we can be self-controlled in ways that we no longer even have to worry about yeah. consciously and actively as we are coming to new awareness of new areas on the edge of where we need to be more consciously focusing our self-control. So all that's to say is like we, um, you know, in the context of everything we said, there, there's a possibility out there for us to get better at self-control in a way that helps us become better humans and not just always be crippled by a sort of self-consciousness all mm -hmm. the way down. Yeah. And when that self-consciousness that goes all the way down, when that, when that cri the crippling effects of that start to go away, there's a freeing that mm -hmm. comes, right? So exactly what you're talking about with, with self-control, we are freed into new spaces mm -hmm. as we kind of mature in these things. Um, the same, I think, is true for our making. When we, when we lose a lot of that self-consciousness, when, mm -hmm. we, when we are kind of taking a number of things, almost for granted, if you will, because we've, we've kind of grown and matured and, mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of um, gotten better in these spaces, I think the same thing kind of works within our making, mm -hmm. where there's certain things we don't have to say, oh, is this an acceptable form? Mm -hmm. Is this something that um, this group over here is going to say, oh, that's passe? Is it something this group over here is going to say, oh, that's just kitschy? Like there's a lot of freedom that can come into that um, by kind of growing out of the self-consciousness and into a self-control mm -hmm. where we can look at things in a very sort of matter-of-fact way and yeah. say, no, I'm, I'm going to make in this manner. I'm going to make these things. I'm going to make towards this group or in these ideas. And you can have self-control into that. That doesn't have to be reactionary in the moment, whether through political, cultural, mm -hmm. economic, whatever sort of things. Um, and you can start to make towards the flourishing of other people mm -hmm. in a way that can be really amazing and beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that anyone who's ever attempted to pursue mastery of technique mm -hmm. has been pursuing self-control. A hundred percent. And the goal of mastery of a technique is to not have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. It's to get it and have it so internalized that you can um, bring about the technique. The technique becomes a method for you to accomplish something yeah. when it's needed, able to be deployed in service of the greater goal of whatever your larger artistic intention is. Mm -hmm. um, so, and you're not spending a lot of time anymore thinking too much about the technique. It's just there in the background. Now, in order to get there, you have to spend many hours thinking yeah. about the technique and yeah. working on it and getting in your hands and your bones and your eyes. Um, but the goal is not to spend your entire making career uh, hyper-focused on you know, foundational techniques. It's to get them in you so they're there ready to be used so that way your attention can expand outward towards those other ends. So oh, 100%. that's like, if you, can, if you can hear that and see how self-control is at play in that scenario, mm -hmm. that maybe can be a helpful metaphor to then broaden it out if you have difficulty thinking about self-control in other scenarios of life. Yeah, you got artistic self-control and you got muscle memory self-control mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Athletic like, self-control. I mean, they're man, all there. Yeah, and they uh, all take worth, work and they are also things that uh, if we think about it within this context become like kind of highly prized with, within those specific sort of pockets of what we do. Yeah. So I think that's, I think it's a great thing to kind of leave people with a, a nice little mic drop to um, to let people sit on for a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, we've got our final ghost showing up next, mm -hmm. um, fourth and final ghost. We'll see who it is next week, but 
between now and then, just remember, we do love you guys. You are a fantastic audience, and we will catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.